Chapter thirty two of The Sword of Damocles by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Full Tide A skirmish of wit between them. Much ado about nothing. Man thinks he is strong and lays his foundations, raises his walls, and dreams of his completed turrets without reckoning the force of the gales or the insidious inundating of the waters that may bring low the mounting structure before its time when with a firm hand mr sylvester thrust back from his heart the one delight which of all the world could afford seemed to him at that moment the dearest and the best he thought the struggle was over and the victory won it had not even commenced he was made startlingly alive to this fact at the very next interview he had with paula she had just come from miss stuyvesant and the reflection of her friend's scarcely comprehended joy was on her countenance together with a look he could not comprehend but which stirred and haunted him until he felt forced to ask if she had seen any other of her old friends in the short visit she had paid yes said she with a distressed blush mr ensign was unexpectedly there it is comparatively easy to restrain your own hand from snatching at a treasure you greatly covet but it is much more difficult to behold another and a lesser one grasp and carry it away before your eyes he succeeded in hiding the shadow that oppressed him but he was constrained to recognize the sharpness of the conflict that was about to be waged in the recesses of his own breast a conflict because he knew that a lift of his finger or a glance of his eye would decide the matter then while in a week perhaps the glamour of a young sunshiny love would have worked its inevitable result and the happiness that had so unexpectedly startled upon him in his monotonous and sombre path would have wandered forever out of his reach how did he meet its unexpected rush sternly at first but with greater and greater wavering as the days went by each one revealing fresh beauties of character and deeper springs of feeling in the enchanting girl thus brought in all her varied charm before his eyes why should he not be happy if there were dark pages in his life had they not long ago been closed and sealed and was not the future bright with promise a man of his years was not through with life he felt at times as he gazed upon her face with its indescribable power of awakening far-reaching thoughts and feelings in callous breasts long unused to the holy influence of either that he had just begun to live that the golden country with its enticing vistas lay all before him and that the youth which he had missed had somehow returned to his prime fresh with more than its usual enthusiasm and bright with more than its wonted hopes and projects with this glorious woman at his side life would be new indeed and if new why not pure and sweet and noble what was there to hinder him from making the existence of this sweet soul a walking amongst gentle duties 
satisfied dreams and holy aspirations a past remorse why the gates could be closed on that a strain of innate weakness for the world's good opinion and applause ah with love in his life such a weakness must disappear besides had he not taken a vow on her dear head that ought to hedge him about as with angels wings in the hour of temptation men with his experience do not invoke the protection of innocence to guard a degraded soul why then all this hesitation a great boon was being offered to him after years of loneliness and immeasurable longing was it not the will of heaven that he should meet and enjoy this unexpected grace he dared to stop and ask and once daring to ask the insidious waters found their way beneath the foundations of his resolution and the lofty structure he had reared in such self-confidence began to tremble where it stood though as yet it betrayed no visible sign of weakness meanwhile society with its innumerable demands had drawn the beautiful young girl within its controlling grasp she must go here she must go there she must lend her talents to this her beauty to that before she had decided whether she ought to remain in the city a week two had flown by and in all this time mr ensign had been ever at her side brightening in her own despite hours which might else have been sad and surrounding her difficult path with proofs of his silent and wary devotion a golden net seemed to be closing around her and though as yet she had given no token of a special recognition of her position miss belinda betrayed by the uniform complacence of her demeanour that she for one regarded the matter as effectually settled the success which bertram had met in his first visit at mr stuyvesant's was not the least agitating factor in this fortnight's secret history he was too much a part of the home life at mr sylvester's not to make the lightest thrill of his frank and sensitive nature felt by all who invaded its precincts and he was in a state of repressed expectancy at this time that unconsciously created an atmosphere about him of vague but restless excitement the hearts of all who encountered his look of concentrated delight must unconsciously beat with his a strain sweeter than his old-time music was in his voice when he played upon the piano which was but seldom it was as if he breathed out his soul before the holy images when he walked he seemed to tread on air his every glance was a question as to whether this great joy for which he had so long and patiently waited was to be his love living and apotheosized appeared to blaze before them and no one can look on love without feeling somewhere in his soul the stir of those deep waters whose pulsing throb even in the darkness of midnight proves that we are the children of god cicely was uncommunicative but her face when paula beheld it was like the glowing countenance of some sculptured saint from which the veil is slowly being withdrawn 
Suddenly there came an evening when the force of the spell that held all these various hearts enchained gave way. It was the night of a private entertainment of great elegance to be held at the house of a friend of Miss Stuyvesant. Bertram had received formal permission from the father of Cicely to act as his daughter's escort, and the fact had transformed him from a hopeful dreamer into a man determined to speak and know his fate at once. Paula was engaged to take part in the entertainment, and the sight of her daintily decked figure leaving the house with Mr. Ensign was the last drop in the slowly gathering tide that was secretly swelling in Mr. Sylvester's breast, and it was with a sudden outrush of his whole determined nature that he stepped upstairs, dressed himself in evening attire, and deliberately followed them to the place where they were going. "'The wealth of the Indies is slipping from my grasp,' was his passionate exclamation, as he rode through the lighted streets. "'I cannot see it go.' If she can care more for me than for this sleek, merry-hearted young fellow, she shall. I know that my love is to his what the mighty ocean is to a placid lake, and with such love one ought to be panoplied as with resisting steel. A stream of light and music met him as he went up the stoop of the house that held his treasure. It seemed to intoxicate him. Glow, melody, and perfume were so many expressions of Paula. His friends, of whom there were many present, received him with tokens of respect, not unmingled with surprise. It was the first time he had been seen in public since his wife's death, and they could not but remark upon the cheerfulness of his bearing and the almost exalted expression of his proud and restless eye. Had Paula accompanied him, they might have understood his emotion, but with the beautiful girl under the care of one of the most eligible gentlemen in town, what could have happened to Mr. Sylvester, to make his once melancholy countenance blazon like a star amid this joyous and merrily laughing throng? He did not enlighten them, but moved from group to group, searching for Paula. Suddenly the thought flashed upon him. Is it only an hour or so since I smiled upon her in my own hall and shook my head when she asked me with a quick pleading look to come with them to this very spot? It seemed days since that time. The rush of these new thoughts, the final making up of this slowly maturing purpose, the sudden allowing of his heart to regard her as a woman to be won, had carried the past away as by the sweep of a mountain torrent. He could not believe he had ever known a moment of hesitancy, ever looked at her as a father, ever bid her go on her way and leave the prisoner to his fate. He must always have felt like this. Such momentum could not have been gathered in an hour. She must know that he loved her wildly, deeply, sacredly, wholly, with the fibre of his mind, his body, and his soul, that to call her his in life and in death was the one demanding passion of his existence, making the past a dream and the future... Ah, he dared not question that. 
he must behold her face before he could even speculate upon the realities lying behind fate's down-drawn curtain meanwhile fair faces and lovely forms flitted before him carrying his glance along in their train but only because youth was a symbol of paula if these fresh young girls could smile and look back upon him with that lingering glance which his presence ever invoked why not she who was not only sweet tender and lovely but gifted with a nature that responded to the deep things of life and the stern passions of potent humanity could a merry laugh lure her while he stood by was the sunshine the natural atmosphere of this flower that had bloomed under his eye so sweetly and shed out its innocent fragrance at the approach of his solemn pacing foot he began to mirror before his mind's eye the startled look of happy wonder with which she would greet his impassioned glance when released from whatever duties might be now pressing upon her she wandered into these rooms to find him awaiting her when suddenly there was a stir in the throng a pleased and excited rush and the large curtain which he had vaguely noticed hanging at one end of the room uplifted and was it paula this coy brilliant saucy-eyed florentine maiden stepping out from a bower of greenery with finger on her lip and a backward glance of saucy defiance that seemed to people the verdant walks behind her with gallant cavaliers eager to follow upon her footsteps yes he could not be mistaken there was but one face like that in the world it was paula but paula with youth's merriest glamour upon her a glamour that had caught its radiant light from other thoughts than those in which he had been engaged he bowed his head and a shudder went through him like that which precedes the falling knife of the executioner even the applause that greeted the revelation of so much loveliness and alluring charm passed over him like a dream he was battling with his first recognition of the possibility of his being too late suddenly her voice was heard she was speaking aloud to herself this florentine maiden who had outstripped her lover in the garden but the tone was the same he had heard beside his own hearthstone and the archness that accompanied it had frequently met and encouraged some cheerful expression of his own these are the words she uttered listen with him to the naive half tender half pettish voice and mark with his eyes the alternate lights and shadows that flit across her cheek as she broodingly murmurs he is certainly a most notable gallant his good day lady and his good even to you are flavoured with the cream of perfectest courtesy but gallantry while it sits well upon a man does not make him one any more than a feather makes the cap it adorns for a tuscan he hath also a certain comeliness but then i have ever sworn in good faith too that i would not marry a tuscan were he the best made man in italy then there is his glance which proclaims to all men's understandings that he loves me which same seems overbold 
but then his smile well for a smile it certainly does credit to his wit but one cannot live upon smiles though if one could one might consent to make a trial of his and starve belike for her pains she drops her cheek into her hand and stands musing mr sylvester drew a deep breath and let his eyes fall when suddenly a hum ran through the audience about him and looking quickly up he beheld mr ensign dressed in full cavalier costume standing behind the musing maiden with a half-merry half-tender gleam upon his face that made the thickly beating heart of his rival shrink as if clutched in an iron vice what followed he heard as we do the words of a sentence read to us from the judge's seat the cavalier spoke first and a thousand dancing colours seemed to flash in the merry banter that followed martino she muses and on no other than myself as i am ready to swear by that coy and tremulous glance i will move her to avow it advances fair lady greeting a kiss for your sweet thoughts nita with a start a kiss signor martino you must acknowledge that were but a sorry exchange for thoughts like mine so if it please you i will keep my thoughts and you your kiss and lest it should seem ungracious in me to give nothing upon your asking i will bestow upon you my most choice good day and so leave you to your meditations curtsies and is about to depart martino you have the true generosity lady you give away what it costs you the dearest to part from nay rumple not your lip it is the truth for all your pretty poutings convince me it is not nita your pardon but that would take words and words would take time and time given to one of your persuasion would refute all my arguments on the face of them still retreating martino well lady since it is your pleasure to be consistent rather than happy adieu had you stayed but as long as the bee pauses on an oleander blossom you would have heard nita buzzing signor martino yes if by that word you would denominate vows of constancy and devotion for i do greatly love you and would tell you so nita and for that you expect me to linger as though vows were new to my ears and words of love as strange to my understanding as tropical birds to the eyes of a norseman martino if you do love me you will linger nita yet if i do slowly advancing be assured it is from some other motive than love martino so it be not from hate i am contented nita to be contented with little proves you a man of much virtue martino when i have you i am contented with much nita that when is a wise insertion signor it saves you from shame and me from anger hark someone calls martino none other but the wind 
it is a kindly breeze, and grieves to hear how harsh a pretty maiden can be to the lover who adores her. Nita. Please, your worship, I do not own a lover. Martino. Then mend your poverty and accept one. Nita. I am no beggar to accept of alms. Martino. In this case, he who offers is the beggar. Nita. I am too young to wear a jewel of so much pretension. Martino. Time is a cure for youth, and marriage a happy speeder of time. Nita. But youth needs no cure, and if marriage speedeth time, I'll live a maid and die one. The days run swift enough without goading, Signor Martino. Martino. But lady. Nita. Nay, your tongue will outstrip time, if you put not a curb upon it. In faith, Signor, I would not seem rude, but if in your courtesy you would consent to woo some other maiden to-day, why, I would strive and bear it. Martino, when I stoop to woo any other lady than thee, the moon shall hide its face from the earth and shine upon it no more. Nita, your thoughts are daring in their flight to-day. Martino, they are in search of your love. Nita, alack, your wings will fail. Martino, ay, when they reach their goal. Nita, dost think to reach it? Martino, shall I not, lady? Nita, tis hard to believe it possible, yet who can tell? You are not so handsome, signor, that one would die for you. Martino, no, lady, but what goes to make other men's faces fair goes to make my heart great. The virtue of my manhood rests in the fact that I love you. Nita, faith, so in some others. Tis the common fault of the gallants, I find. If that is all, Martino, but I will always love you, even unto death. Nita, I doubt it not, so death comes soon enough. Martino taps his poignard with his hand. Would you have it come now, and so prove me true to my word? Nita demurely, I am no judge to utter the doom that your presumption merits. Martino, your looks speak doom, and your sweet lips hide a sword keener than that of justice. Nita, have you tried them, signor, that you speak so knowingly concerning them? Retreating, your words, methinks, are somewhat like your kisses, all breath and no substance. Martino, lady, sweet one, follows her. Nita, nay, I am gone. Exit. Martino, I were of the fool's fold, did I fail to follow at a beck so gentle. Exit. That was not all, but it was all that Mr. Sylvester heard. Hastily retreating, he went out into the corridor, and ere long found himself in the conservatory. He felt shaken, felt that he could not face all this unmoved. He knew he had been gazing at a play, that because this Florentine maiden looked at her lover with coyness, gentleness, tenderness perhaps, it did not follow that she, his Paula, 
loved the real man behind this dashing cavalier but the possibility was there and in his present frame of mind could not be encountered without pain he dared not stay where men's eyes could follow him or women's delicate glances note the heaving of his chest he had in the last three hours given himself over so completely to hope he realized it now though he would not have believed it before with man's usual egotism he had felt that it was only necessary for him to come to a decision to behold all else fall out according to his mind he had forgotten for the nonce the power of a youthful lover eager to serve ready to wait careful to press his way at every advantage he could have cursed himself for the folly of his delay as he strode up and down among the flowering shrubs in the solitude which the attractions of the play created fool fool he muttered between his teeth to halt on the threshold of paradise till the door closed in my face when a step would have carried me where he grew dizzy as he contemplated the goal looks never so fair as when just within reach of a rival's hand a vigorous clapping followed by a low gush of music woke him at last to the realization that the little drama had terminated with a hasty movement he was about to return to the parlours when he heard the low murmur of voices and on looking up saw a youthful couple advancing into the conservatory whom at first glance he recognized for bertram and miss stuyvesant they were absorbed in each other and believing themselves alone came on without fear presenting such a picture of love and deep unspeakable joy that mr sylvester paused and gazed upon them as upon the sudden embodiment of a cherished vision of his own imaginings bertram was speaking ordinary words no doubt words suited to the occasion and the time but his voice was attuned to the beatings of his long repressed heart while the bend of his proud young head and the glance of his yearning eye were more eloquent than speech of the leaning of his whole nature in love and protection towards the dainty flushing creature at his side it was a sight to make old hearts young and a less happy lover sick with envy in spite of his gratification at his nephew's success mr sylvester's brow contracted and it was with difficulty he could subdue himself into the appearance of calm benevolence necessary to pass them with propriety had it been paula and mr ensign he did not know how it was that he managed to find her at last but just as he was beginning to realize that wisdom demanded his departure from this scene he suddenly came upon her sitting with her face turned toward the crowd and waiting for whom he had never seen her look so beautiful possibly because he had never before allowed himself to gaze upon her with a lover's eyes she had exchanged her piquant roman costume for the pearl-grey satin in which ona had delighted to array her and its rich substance and delicate neutral tint harmonized well with the amber brocade of the curtain against which she sat power 
passion and purity breathed in her look and lent enchantment to her form she was poetry's unique jewel and at this moment thought rather than merriment sat upon her lips and haunted her somewhat tremulous smiles he approached her as a priest to his shrine but once at her side once in view of her first startled blush stooped passionately and forgetting everything but the suspense at his heart asked with a look and tone such as he had never before bestowed upon her if the play which he had seen that evening had been real or only the baseless fabric of a dream she understood him and drew back with a look almost of awe shaking her head and replying in a startled way i do not know i dare not say i scarcely have taken time to think then take it he murmured in a voice that shook her body and soul for i must know if he does not and without venturing another word or supplying by look or gesture any explanation of his unexpected appearance or as equally unexpected departure he bowed before her as if she had been a queen instead of the child he had been wont in other days to regard her and speedily left her side but he had not taken two steps before he paused mr ensign was approaching mr sylvester you are worse than the old woman of the tale who declaring she would not that nothing could ever induce her to did you utter a deeper truth than you realize returned that gentleman with a grave emphasis meant rather for her ears than his it is the curse of mortals to overrate their strength in the face of great temptations i am no exception to the rule and with a second bow that included this apparently triumphant lover within its dignified sweep he calmly proceeded upon his way and in a few moments had left the house mr ensign who for all his careless disposition was quick to recognize depths in others stared after his commanding figure until he had disappeared then turned and looked at paula why did his heart sink and the lights and joy and promise of the evening seem to turn dark and shrivel to nothing before his eyes End of chapter 32